Anabasis by Xenophon, Book 4, Chapter 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Martin Geeson. James Joyce in Context, Volume 1, Telemachus. Anabasis by Xenophon, Book 4, Chapter 7. Translated from the Greek by H. G. Dakins. After this they marched into the country of the Taochians, five stages, thirty parasangs, and provisions failed. For the Taochians lived in strong places, into which they had carried up all their stores. Now when the army arrived before one of these strong places, a mere fortress without city or houses, into which a motley crowd of men and women and numerous flocks and herds were gathered, Cerisophus attacked at once. When the first regiment fell back tired, a second advanced, and again a third, for it was impossible to surround the place in full force as it was encircled by a river. Presently Xenophon came up with the rear guard, consisting of both light and heavy infantry, whereupon Chirisophus halted him with the words, in the nick of time you have come. We must take this place, for the troops have no provisions unless we take it. Thereupon they consulted together, and to Xenophon's inquiry what it was which hindered their simply walking in, Cerisophus replied, There is just this one narrow approach which you see, but when we attempt to pass it by, they roll down volleys of stones from yonder overhanging crag, pointing up, and this is the state in which you find yourself if you chance to be caught. And he pointed to some poor fellows with their legs or ribs crushed to bits. But when they have expended their ammunition, said Xenophon, there is nothing else is there to hinder our passing. Certainly, except yonder handful of fellows, there is no one in front of us that we can see, and of them only two or three apparently are armed, and the distance to be traversed under fire is, as your eyes will tell you, about one hundred and fifty feet, as near as can be, and of this space the first hundred is thickly covered with great pines at intervals. Under cover of these, what harm can come to our men from a pelt of stones, flying or rolling? So then there is only fifty feet left to cross during a lull of stones. "'Aye,' said Chirisophus, but with our first attempt to approach the bush a galling fire of stones commences. "'The very thing we want,' said the other, "'for they will use up their ammunition all the quicker. But let us select a point from which we shall only have a brief space to run across, if we can, and from which it will be easier to get back, if we wish.' Thereupon Cerisophus and Xenophon set out with Callimachus the Parhasian, the captain in command of the officers of the rear-guard that day. The rest of the captains remained out of danger. That done, the next step was for a party of about seventy men to get away under the trees, not in a body, but one by one, every one using his best precaution. And Agassias the Stymphalian, and Aristonymus the Methydrian, who were also officers of the rear guard, were posted as supports outside the trees, for it was not possible for more than a single company to stand safely within the trees. Here Callimachus hit upon a pretty contrivance. He ran forward from the tree under which he was posted two or three paces, and as soon as the stones came whizzing he retired easily, 
but at each excursion more than ten wagon-loads of rocks were expended. Agassius, seeing how Callimachus was amusing himself, and the whole army looking on as spectators, was seized with the fear that he might miss his chance of being first to run the gauntlet of the enemy's fire and get into the place. So, without a word of summons to his neighbour, Aristonymus, or to Eurylochus of Lucia, both comrades of his, or to anyone else, off he set on his own account, and passed the whole detachment. But Callimachus, seeing him tearing past, caught hold of his shield by the rim, and in the meantime Aristonymus the Methydrian ran past both, and after him Eurylochus of Lucia, for they were one and all aspirants to valour, and in that high pursuit each was the eager rival of the rest. So in this strife of honour the three of them took the fortress, and when they had once rushed in, not a stone more was hurled from overhead. And here a terrible spectacle displayed itself. The women first cast their infants down the cliff, and then they cast themselves after their fallen little ones, and the men likewise. In such a scene, Aeneas the Stymphalian, an officer, caught sight of a man with a fine dress about to throw himself over, and seized hold of him to stop him. But the other caught him to his arms, and both were gone in an instant, headlong down the crags, and were killed. Out of this place the merest handful of human beings were taken prisoners, but cattle and asses in abundance, and flocks of sheep. From this place they marched through the Calibes, seven stages, fifty parasangs. These were the bravest men whom they encountered on the whole march, coming cheerily to close quarters with them. They wore linen cuirasses reaching to the groin, and instead of the ordinary wings or basques, a thickly plaited fringe of cords. They were also provided with greaves and helmets, and at the girdle a short sabre, about as long as the Laconian dagger with which they cut the throats of those they mastered. And after severing the head from the trunk, they would march along carrying it, singing and dancing, when they drew within their enemy's field of view. They carried also a spear fifteen cubits long, lanced at one end. This folk stayed in regular townships, and whenever the Hellenes passed by, they invariably hung close on their heels fighting. They had dwelling-places in their fortresses, and into them they had carried up their supplies, so that the Hellenes could get nothing from this district, but supported themselves on the flocks and herds they had taken from the Taochians. After this the Hellenes reached the river Harpasus, which was four hundred feet broad. Hence they marched through the Scythenians four stages, twenty parasangs, through a long level country, to more villages among which they halted three days, and got in supplies. Passing on from thence in four stages of twenty parasangs, they reached a large and prosperous, well-populated city, which went by the name of Gymnias, from which the governor of the country sent them a guide to lead them through a district hostile to his own. This guide told them that within five days he would lead them to a place from which they would see the sea. And, he added, if I fail of my word, you are free to take my life. Accordingly he put himself at their head. But he no sooner set foot in the country hostile to himself than he fell to encouraging them to burn and harry the land. Indeed his exhortations were so earnest it was plain that it was for this he had come, 
and not out of the good will he bore the Hellenes. On the fifth day they reached the mountain, the name of which was Theches. No sooner had the men in front ascended it and caught sight of the sea than a great cry arose, and Xenophon in the rear guard, catching the sound of it, conjectured that another set of enemies must surely be attacking in front, for they were followed by the inhabitants of the country, which was all aflame. Indeed the rear-guard had killed some, and captured others alive, by laying an ambuscade. They had taken also about twenty wicker shields, covered with the raw hides of shaggy oxen. But as the shout became louder and nearer, and those who from time to time came up, began racing at the top of their speed towards the shouters, and the shouting continually recommenced with yet greater volume as the numbers increased, Xenophon settled in his mind that something extraordinary must have happened. So he mounted his horse, and taking with him Lysias and the cavalry, he galloped to the rescue. Presently they could hear the soldiers shouting, and passing on the joyful word, The sea! The sea! Thereupon they began running, rear-guard and all, and the baggage animals and horses came galloping up. But when they had reached the summit, then indeed they fell to embracing one another, generals and officers and all, and the tears trickled down their cheeks. And on a sudden, someone, whoever it was, having passed down the order, the soldiers began bringing stones and erecting a great cairn whereon they dedicated a host of untanned skins, and staves, and captured wicker shields, and with his own hand the guide hacked the shields to pieces, inviting the rest to follow his example. After this the Hellenes dismissed the guide with a present raised from the common store, to wit a horse, a silver bowl, a Persian dress, and ten darics. But what he most begged to have were their rings, and of these he got several from the soldiers. So, after pointing out to them a village where they would find quarters, and the road by which they would proceed towards the land of the Macrones, as evening fell, he turned his back upon them in the night, and was gone. End of Anabasis by Xenophon Book 4, Chapter 7 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey